Day is a special day. John mentioned it's Pentecost Sunday. We celebrate and remember the, the first day of Pentecost in which lots of um, Christian traditions would say is kind of the birth of the church, really. Jesus uh, dying on the cross and saving us from our sin and um, ascending into heaven was an incredible miracle that's got us into connection with, G into connection with God. But the day of Pentecost is the day when the fearful and confused disciples got filled with power. And uh, we remember that. And we are power-filled, spirit-filled Pentecostals in C3 Church. Just in case you are wondering, we are, right? And it is a great pleasure today to have one of Julie's and my champions with us, Dr. Gordon Moore. Gordon and Joe have been dear friends uh, since we met them. Uh, we were trying to work that out the other night over a meal. We think we met Gordon in 1996. And uh, he came to our church. And in those days, they were running a massive church in Brisbane and have done for many years. They've handed that church on in the last few years to another great couple of people. And they're kind of roving, what do you call it, secret agents or something for C3? No, <laughs> no they're just going around the world and blessing churches with their wisdom, their counsel, their guidance, their incredible enthusiasm for life. Now, we love Gordon and Joe dearly. They've been a great encouragement to Julia and myself. They have actually helped us see things we couldn't see uh, because that's just the nature of Gordon and Joe. So I want you to welcome Pastor Gordon as he comes right now to this space. Thank you, sir. Hey, yeah, thank you, Pastor Bruce. Over to you, sir. Awesome. You may be seated. Great. Well, what a great thing, eh? Who's glad COVID's over? Wow, man, what a crazy year. We were just talking about, I think we were here two years ago. Exactly. About, it's about two years we were here. And um, actually, we were in uh, Holland when the craziness hit, preaching and touring around. And um, we got one of the last flights out home. We're just amazing story how we got home but um, things are coming back to normal and uh, we're starting to uh, travel a bit and I can't believe it I was just saying to John John was saying to me before um, you know how things go and what's it going and he said that's been a few years hasn't it and I said no this is our fifth year retired can you believe it so 30th of November this year uh, Joe and I handed over the church and um just said to the Lord, well, you want us to do this, so um, what do you want us to do? And um, it's just been busy, you know, just traveling and uh, preaching, not preaching, um, seeing more of my grandchildren, which is great. And that's a big job. We've got 14 grandkids now and make one great grandchild. So that keeps us out of trouble. Uh, Christmas is ridiculous. It's off the hook. And, uh, but we love it, it's really good. And here we are back in uh, Adelaide Hills. Beautiful weather, isn't it incredible? How blessed you are. Just marvellous, absolutely marvellous. And you know the other thing too, last night we uh, had a dinner with your location pastors. And I was thinking to myself, as I went to sleep last night, how good God is. And did, did you know it takes a long time for God to do it suddenly? It's really amazing that, isn't it? Um, and um, we were talking about this. We've been coming to your church, I think, for 20 years, or is it 25 years? I can't remember, but um, it's too long. Um, and I remember coming in then, and there's probably about 35 people in the church. And, um, and prophecies were given, and there was a vision in the heart of 
Pastor Bruce and Julie and um, uh, Emma. I think uh, she was really little then. I don't know how old she'd be, but we won't comment because that can reveal certain things. But she looks as beautiful as ever. And um, uh, she was only a little girl. And, and, you know, just to see all of this and, and what God's done. And you just look at that couple and you see then John came to Christ and his beautiful sister and others. And, and now we sit here today and we had this dinner last night. And I was thinking, how good is God? that this church now is like a hub and there are three locations. You've got here, you're down the hill in the, in the um, east and then now you're at the west and there's gonna be others. There's gonna be other churches. And, and God has made this church like an apostolic hub. You're like a hub that can reach out. Um, but the amazing thing is, you know, a lot of people go, what hub? You know, have you noticed that? You know? <laughs> uh, and, and so many people don't get it. Because people are all the time looking at the natural. They're looking at the, the external. But God doesn't look at the external. He looks at the heart. He looks at the spirit. And when you look at the spirit of this church and what it's done, and not just here too, but in Australia and Europe, and you've reached out and done incredible things. And then all of a sudden, it looks like it's happening physically as well, right? With your, your three locations and what God's done. It's absolutely brilliant. So. You, Congratulations, church. It's awesome. And, um, you know, we get to come each year, apart from last year, and um, have a look and see what's happening. And um, it's just marvelous. And um, you just got so great pastors, Pastor Bruce and Julie, that have just stood the test of time and endured. And here they are. They're still smiling. Uh, Pastor Bruce has still got a sense of humor, I notice. He was telling me a few jokes and laughing about stuff. It's, it's absolutely awesome, and your great uh, location pastors, John and Em, we just love them. They're just awesome, and um, great band here. Isn't this awesome? Great music. How are you doing, honey? Good? Huh? Doing great. And it's just, aren't they good? Or what? Or what? You know, people take it for granted. You know, you turn up every week, and it's happening, and, and you know, you're able to worship God, and you know, it's good to feel the presence of God, isn't it? And I always figure this one, I'm the guest speaker. If my hands go up, it's pretty good. You know what I mean? Because you come into a meeting, you're thinking about what you're going to preach, what you're going to say and all that. But when you come into a church, it's so nice when the worship happens and you find yourself not thinking about that. Your hands are just there and you're just worshipping the Lord. And that's what it's all about, right? Is that true? It's true, isn't it? Thank you, Ben. You can be seated and we'll, we might catch up later, right? How's that? Feeling good? It's good. Um, I've been busy the last few years. I've written a few extra books. You might, you might be aware of some of them. Um, some of you have probably seen that before. Yes, Holy Spirit. I thought it would be good just to promote that today. It's Pentecost Sunday. And um, say, yes, Holy Spirit. If you're saying, but Holy Spirit, get a buttectomy. Okay. And... Um, Lean into the Holy Spirit and, and be part of what God's doing. So that's a little book on that, how you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, this one here, I don't know if you've seen that one, that's a prayer book. In other words, I, I've not written like this. I've mainly done leadership and church things. But when I retired, I thought I'd write this. It's actually one of my key themes, personally. And, and what I find is in prayer, I, I find I've been guilty of this and all of us. What we tend to do is we pray need. 
You hearing me here? So we come to pray, God, give me this. Can you do this? Why is this happening? Why is this happening? Why aren't you doing this? And we get in this need mode, pray need. But what I, this book's about is getting us to pray read. So just to open the Bible and leave all your needs and engage with God and read through a chapter and read it and pray and pray it and read and say, God, what are you saying to me today? It's amazing. And so what this is, this is a book about the 15 Psalms of Ascent. And I just, it's what I've done. And it's like my own prayer journaling sort of thing. And I'll put it there to show you how you can take a chapter and just pray through it and ask God to speak to you through the word. Have a guess what will happen. Your needs will diminish a bit. You might even find faith might arise to believe for your needs. And uh, so that's a, that's a really good book. You can get those. This one here is Tell Your Story. I don't know if you've seen this one. Did you know everyone in this room's got a story? And here's the thing. A person with an experience is not subject to a person with a theory. And trust me, I've been in the church for over 50 years. I've heard just about every theory. Most of them are irrelevant at best. They're useless because they're just theories. But you know, if you've got a story, because you've got an experience, because God touched you, tell people that. This book is about how you can write that out and articulate your story and just tell people what you know by experience, not what you know by theory, but what you know by experience is power in it. The Bible says they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's what God has done in us. And through the word of their testimony, what God has done for us. And we tell that, you'll be there. My two latest books, this one is Take Someone With You, right? That's my leadership book. And people say, gee, it's thin. I say, well, that's all I know. <laughs> but don't be fooled. This is the espresso of leadership books. It's decanted. And, and it's about this. Look, this is what it's about. What? what I try to help the average Christian, if I can use that expression, because what I find is we have so many Christians that are saying, well, I'm not a leader. No, no, no. Everyone in this room is a leader. You say, wait a minute, I haven't got a title. Ah, you see, that's the problem. Leadership's not a position or a title. Trust me, I don't have any titles now. I don't have any, I'm on no boards, nothing, and I'm still influencing people and still leading people. You understand what I mean? So, so what we need in the church is we need people to just influence. And that's called take someone with you. So if you're on deacons or the music or kids or you just, you're just in the church, take someone with you. That's what a leader does. So woman's night on Friday night, be a leader and take someone to the, to the woman's night. That's what a leader is. People say, oh, but, but that's not leadership. It actually is. You know what leadership's job is? To go, you know what? You're a leader. <laughs> you know what the best kind of leaders are? When you say that to a person, they go, am I? That's a leader. But when you get people saying, I'm the leader. I'm the anointed one. No, get rid of them because they're going to cause problems, Right? And this is what this book's about, how that all of us can just take someone with it. That's a, it's a very dangerous concept. You think about it. So instead of just the pastors leading or the Sunday school teacher leading, all of us are leading. In other words, we're all influencing. We're all encouraging each other. Man, the church begins to grow, man. 
You're already doing this because we're talking about values, right? There's a value in our church, and it's right through C3 about leadership. But don't be fooled that leadership is a position or a title. It's how we live and how we influence. And then let other people say, you're a leader. You're a this, you're a that. And I think that's very important. And my last book that I've written, well, it's not my last because I'm not dead yet. But <laughs> my, my last book, I love this one, is God of Miracles. And talk about Pentecost Sunday and resetting values. This is a big thing for us as C3, but also Adelaide Hills. You believe in this, okay? So this book, uh, it's kind of hot. And it's about miracles and how you can believe God for miracles. All of these books, I try to price them fairly. They're about $15, and they're about 50 years worth condensed into that. Um, but do you see the picture on the front? Do you know, anyone know what that is? I've asked people all over the world this. Does it, yeah, well, I, he, I knew he would know. It's, yeah. It's the shuttle Hubble. They call it the Hubble Cross or the Cross of Hubble, right? One person. Isn't that amazing? Okay, you know what this is? Okay, so they're going to put it up if they put the picture up. That picture was taken from the Hubble Space Shuttle, okay, of the nearby galaxy. Are you with me? I'm just going to play with your brain from it. Can I do that? I'm going to mess your brains up. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Okay, so we're part of a solar system. Uh, anyone visited uh, Neptune lately or anyone the moon? Or I know some of you are over the moon. And I know some of you have probably seen stars. But we've, we'd, like, we've driven all the way from Brisbane to here. It feels like ages, you know what I'm saying? No, this is the nearby galaxy. Okay, so we're part of a solar system. We're part of a galaxy, am I correct? We've got a... Scientist, I think, here. Maybe. Uh, so next to us is another solar, another galaxy. Okay, okay. So why is it there? I don't really know the answer, but this is my facetious answer because God felt like putting it there. So what's purpose does it, what is its purpose? Is there life there? We don't know. You know what I think? There probably is no life there because God just did it. So these dudes, these scientists, they travel out on the spaceship and they take a photo of it, okay? Have a get, look what's in the middle. Can you see what's in the middle? It's a cross. So all these atheistic scientists and people that don't necessarily go to church go, it's a cross. So what if God put a cross in the middle of the nearby galaxy. Maybe he knew in the future that man would discover it. And when they get out of our own solar system, our own galaxy, we take a photograph of it, we're going to see what? A cross. So to me, it's this. To me, it's the miraculous, redemptive cross signature of God. God just made it and went cross. You know, like, you know, some people go X, Jesus goes cross. God just puts a cross there. Isn't that amazing? But let me take you further. Let me take you deeper. Do you know how big it is? Well, it's 1,100 light years across. So from, from the edge of that white across diagonally, right? 
It's 1,100 light years. You say, wow, that's incredible. No, no, let me show you how incredible it is. If you travel at five miles a second, which is the speed of the Hubble space shuttle, so that's five miles, five miles, five miles, five miles, five miles, five miles. It's pretty fast, right? Okay, so it will take you 37,200 years to travel one light year. So to travel across that, let's just call it a star for the sake of lay people like me, to travel across it, how long will it take? 37,200 times 1,100, which equals 40.9 million years. You're saying to me today, Pastor Gordon, what are you on about? Well, quite frankly, sometimes I don't know myself, but... (laughs) Let me me just put this to you. If God's that big and he can do that, could could we just put our thinking that maybe he could solve your problem? See, this is what we do as human beings. We make mountains out of molehills and spend the rest of our lives climbing them. God makes, if for want of a, a word, a star or a, a cross of Hubble in the next galaxy, which is going to take 40.9 million years for us to fly through with current technology. I think he's pretty big. But because you and I are so restricted by physical sight, smelling, our own physicality, we limit God to us. So then we say stuff like this, I don't have enough faith. But you know the problem is, it's not our faith. Never compare the size of your problem to the size of your faith. Always compare the size of your problem to the size of your God. So how much faith does it take to receive a miracle? The Bible says, mustard seed faith. Now, I didn't bring them with me, but usually when I preach a message on mustard seeds faith, I bring mustard seeds and give them to people. They, they are little wee little seeds. They're the smallest seeds, man. And Jesus said this, if you've got that much faith, you can move mountains. See, because miracles happen because of two things. Because you and I do the small part, believe, and we let God do the big part, the miracle. But you know, I meet Christians everywhere, and hey, I've been guilty of this myself. They're trying to get healed. I've got to get more faith. I've got to fast. I've got to give more money. I've got to serve more, and if God sees what I'm doing, then he'll... No, 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 no. Don't try to get yourself healed. Believe that you're healed in this great God who's created all this, And watch what he does. And just relax and believe God. And you'll see miracles happen in your life. That was just my introduction. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? We're serving a pretty big God. Does that make you feel good? It ought to. But you see, we our pea brains, we I threw out all those numbers, but really we don't get them. 
How can you travel for 40.9 million years just across one thing that God created? It's, it's like beyond our comprehension. That's where faith has to kick in. And I can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't know. I, I don't have all the answers, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you at your promise. I'm going to take you at your word, and I'm going to believe it with my childlike faith. Miracles can happen. So tonight what we're going to do in the meeting is I'm not going to preach very long tonight, and what we're going to do is spend a lot of time praying for people. Is that okay? We might do that a bit this morning, but people say, well, I, I can't come tonight. Well, well, maybe you should. Because we're going to talk about this great God and what he's done for us. Is that awesome? A lot of people ask me why I'm a Pentecostal. Why, why are you a Pentecostal? That's a good question, isn't it? Here's my simple answer. I was born in it. I was established in it. And I progressed in it. So that's how I got saved. I got saved into a Pentecostal environment. We didn't call it that. It was really a revival in the late 60s. And, and God just moved. And I was a teenager and I had long hair and I was cool. <laughs> and, but God just moved and I was born in it. Then I went to a church like this that got me established in it. I learned about speaking in tongues. I learned about the gifts. They were operated. They were taught on. And so then as a result of that foundation, I was able to progress and grow in my Pentecostal faith. I'm more a committed Pentecostal today than ever. My original minister, I won't tell you what abomination, I mean denomination he was part of. He, this is what he said to me. He said, Gordon, and he was very, he, he was called, he said he was an open Christian. He was open to the Spirit, which meant he wasn't doing anything, but, and I love him, etc. He was open. I hate people when they. I hate it when people say I'm open, because it just means they're not doing anything. Don't get open. Get in. <laughs> get into it, right? Anyway, this is what he said to me. He said, "Gordon, I'm really thrilled with what's happened. You've obviously had an incredible encounter with God, but what you've got to realise as you grow older, it'll wear off." And he said, "So that's when you need this. You've, you've, all you need's the Bible. So it's evangelicals think like this." But my pastors used to say this, if you have too much of the Bible, you'll dry up. If you have too much of the Holy Spirit, you'll blow up. But if you have a combination and a balance of the Word and the Spirit, you'll grow up. So it's not either or. But you know the truth is, uh, I've been following Christ over, it's nearly 53 years. It's got worse. It hasn't worn off. It's actually deepened. Now, maybe I'm not as frothy as I used to be, and maybe I'm not as sort of, you know, kind of thing, um, uh, because when I got saved and you first get filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like a party. And, and you know, you're counting how many times you fell over in a meeting. And, and, you know, and it's wonderful, and God doesn't despise that. God doesn't despise that because that's where you're at. But you see, what we, God wants us to do is to grow in these values so they become a deep value in our life. I want to talk about what it means to be a Pentecostal. Is that okay? So I thought this morning I might do a bit of a teachy thing and tonight we'll do a bit of a preachy thing and somehow it'll all work together. So what it means really to be a Pentecostal, what, what does this mean? Well, 
First of all, let's talk about the word Pentecost. Where does it come from? Well, it's the he- it comes from the Hebrew word 50. And what happened was when they, did, when they commemorated the feast of Passover and unleavened bread, they had to wait seven weeks or 50 days from, let's just say, from, I'll use Christian terminology. So you have Good Friday, which was like the Christian fulfillment of uh, celebrating Passover. And then we celebrate uh, Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday, which was the Feast of um, uh, Unleavened Bread. And, and then you waited another 50 days. And at the end of those 50 days, you had Pentecost. Now, isn't it amazing in, in the religious Jewish world, these people, when Jesus was there, the, the very time he, he was crucified, he was raised again, he went to heaven and the Holy Spirit come, they were actually commemorating the religious feast. But what the New Testament was celebrating was the fulfillment of it. So the word Pentecost is not a weird sect separate from the cross and the resurrection. In the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament, these three feasts are seen as one. So so the, the feast of Passover is the cross and that's what God did for me. Are you you with me here? I'm just throwing out stuff here. On Resurrection Sunday, when he rose from the dead and conquered death and carried my sins and is alive forevermore, that's like the new birth. So that's what God did in me. Fifty days later, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, Now the Holy Spirit begins to move on Christians, fill them with the Holy Spirit's presence, give them gifts and mobilize them. And now we discover that Pentecost is what God has has done through me. So God wants to do three things. You know, traditional Pentecostals call it the second blessing. I used to call it the third blessing. (laughs) Um, Evangelicals say there's no second or third, it's just one. We just need to get saved. No, 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 no. The feasts tell us there are three distinct provisions of God. There's the cross, what Jesus has done for me. There is the resurrection, what Jesus does in me. Because I'm dead from sin, now I'm alive to God. And now Pentecost, what Jesus wants to do through me. When you get those three together, that's what it means to be a Pentecostal. It's accepting all that God has done for me. It's receiving a new birth where God works in me and takes away the sin and creates a new creation that I live in the will of God. And then he empowers me so I can minister that life to others. And all of us are called to do that. So when did the first day of Pentecost occur? Well, it occurred in the book of Exodus when Moses celebrated the Pentecost feast. And when he got the tablets of stone, remember he went up on the mountain and God wrote on them the Ten Commandments? He said, why did God do that? Why did God give um, Moses two tablets? Well, the children of Israel were giving him a headache. So so anyway, um, um, uh, that's just deep and profound. So, So I want you to see that the Old Testament law came then, 
But on that day, it occurred on Mount Sinai. I want you to just think that for a minute, Mount Sinai. Okay, what else happened? Well, God gave the law of works to Moses, so he gave the Ten Commandments and the law. What else happened? Well, they formed the tabernacle. It's called the Tabernacle of Moses in the center of the nation of Israel. So on the first Pentecost, the, the nation, if you like, of Israel was created by God. It existed before in promise. It existed through families, but now they became tribes and they were recognized as a nation under God with the temple in the center. Isn't that amazing? Whereas in the New Testament, Pentecost was celebrated on Mount Zion. Isn't that interesting? They were gathered in the upper room, it was on Mount Zion, and the Holy Spirit came. So, so in the Old Testament, Sinai, which is earthly, but, but Zion, if you read Isaiah and all the prophets, Zion is spiritual. So what was God doing? Well, just in the Old Testament on Sinai, he created a natural nation. In the New Testament on the day of Pentecost, the first day of Pentecost in the New Testament, he created a spiritual nation, the church. See, this is where we need to understand the values and why we do what we do. Being a Pentecostal doesn't mean you just speak in tongues. A Pentecostal is far more than a tongue speaker. That's the sign. That's a sign. But being a Pentecostal means you've fully embraced what God has done for me, what God has done in me, and what God is doing through me, and that is expressed through the church Spiritual Israel. So you've got natural Israel in the Old Testament, the law of works. Now in the New Testament, the law of faith comes, Paul says. And so now we're a spiritual nation with a law of faith. The just shall live by faith. Oh, isn't that awesome? See, in the Old Testament, a pillar of cloud and fire sat on the temple and the priests and went before the people. But in the New Testament, the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire, which are types of the presence of the Holy Spirit, is on every believer. Because it says in Acts 2, tongues of fire came and sat on all of them. So, so in the Old Testament, the blessing is for some to bless many. But in the New Testament, the blessing is for everybody, young and old, male or female. And away we go. I mean, in our modern world, people are on about, you know, equality of woman. In the Bible, women have always been equal. <laughs> Especially the New Testament. The gifts, the Spirit flow on everybody. It's just people are waking up. And, and this is the problem that I see is in the church, so many Christians think Old Testament, they don't think New Testament. So they think priesthood, they think the church building, like the tabernacle. But in the New Testament, they don't think building, they think people. And the Holy Spirit moved on everybody and the Holy Spirit filled everybody. Wow. It's amazing. I love it. This, this event in Acts chapter 2, 1 and 2, is actually a fulfillment of all the prophecies. Even from Exodus, when they built the tabernacle, they weren't just building it for them 
The Bible says in Hebrews it was a foreshadow, it was a prophecy of today. So everything contained in there is explained and experienced in us. Amazing, isn't it? Amazing. This is why Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he said, these people aren't drunk, as you presume, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He quotes one prophet. This is that. Pentecost is that which was spoken by the prophets. What is that? It shall come to pass in the last days, I'll pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. I will show wonders and signs. Wow. And it shall come to pass, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So in the Old Testament, how did you get saved? Well, you had to go to the temple and get cleansed by the priests and become what they called a proselyte. In other words, you became a convert to the Jewish people or the the Israelite faith. That's the only way on the whole world. That's the only way you could experience this justification we use in New Testament language was to go to the temple with the ordained priest and get clearance, right? In the New Testament, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever, wherever, male, female, young, old, no matter what nationality, no matter what country we live in, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's no limit to the Pentecostal belief. It's amazing. Is this helping anybody this morning? In other words, the Pentecostal movement is all about supernatural encounters and experiences with the Holy Spirit. Prophecy, dreams, visions, wonders, signs, salvations. Here's the thing. People say to me, why are you a Pentecostal? Is there anything else? Honestly, and that's not a judgment. I'll tell you what that is. Once you've tasted the Spirit, why would you sit in a church that doesn't even believe in the Spirit or the gifts or healing? But people say, yeah, but you know, in the Pentecostals, not perfect. Really? How long did it take you to discover that? Just read the book of Acts. It wasn't perfect. They had racism. The, The Hebrews were withholding money from the Grecian widows. Barnabas and Paul had a fisticuff over Barnabas' nephew. <laughs> the church of Corinth was split. Oh, how, how, what, what, they split down the middle? No, about four ways. Where of Cephas, where of Apollos, where of Paul, and then there were super spiritual ones. See that? 2,000 years ago, they still had spiritual people. And they said, you're all wrong. Where of Jesus? What did Paul say? You're all wrong. We're one in Christ. <laughs> <laughs> so, so how can you belong to something that's imperfect? Not everyone gets healed, not everyone gets saved. Well, of course, no, because we live in an imperfect world. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, when the Feast of Tabernacles happens, see, it's a prophecy. We're in the Pentecostal season, but the next feast, the seventh feast, the last big feast is the Day of Atonement, and the day or the Feast of Tabernacles, God will live with man. Then Revelation says he'll wipe away every tear 
There'll be no more sickness, no more pain. How good is that? But until then, we're going to have imperfection. We're going to have mistakes. It's not going to quite work out. But this is the way I work. What's the best we've got? Pentecost. It's the best we've got. Why? Because it preaches the full gospel. That's what Pentecostal means, preaching the full gospel. What does that mean? Well, it means we preach the Bible. In other words, does the Bible say you're saved? We preach it. Does the Bible say you can get healed? Yes, we preach it. Does the Bible say you can be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues? Yes, we preach it and practice it. Whatever the Bible practices, that's called the full gospel. Not the half gospel or the quarter gospel or the three-quarter gospel, but the whole gospel. Anyway, there you go. I just thought I'd throw that out. So let's talk about very quickly what are the main distinctives of the Pentecostal church. So what, what is this? Okay, so, so what, what are the main... Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to give them to you. Okay, you ready? Ready to go? Here are six of them. There's more. But here, to me, these are the six key things. Number one, the Pentecostal movement was not founded by a person. All other church groups have a name on them, like the Catholic Church, Peter. The, the head church in Rome, I've been there, they have like a big, the altar. If you go down underneath in the nave, right under the, the altar are the bones of Peter. Their church is built on Peter. What about the Lutherans? Well, it's the Lutheran church. I'm not, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong, I'm just saying... All these churches were built upon a person. Okay, well, what about the Methodists? That was the method of the Wesleyans. So you have the Wesleyan Methodists. It's built on a person. Uh, uh, Henry VIII. You say, what church did he start? Church of England. Why? Because the Pope told him he has to stop killing his wives. Divorcing them's one thing, but killing them, that's another thing altogether. And he didn't like it, so he started the Church of England. Isn't that amazing? So who started the Pentecostal Church? We don't know. Because no one started it in one place at one time, even though some of our American brothers think they started it. <laughs> this is the truth. In the late 1800s to the early 1900s, all of a sudden, say it, all of a sudden, God began to move in America, Australia, New Zealand, Africa, Britain, Asia, all over the world. People not even knowing each other. Now, I know this to be a fact because I've traveled, you know, widely. You know, I go to countries in the world, there are a whole, let's just call them denominations because we understand what that means. Groups of churches that I didn't even know existed. Pentecostal church. You say, where did you start? Oh, you know, there was a revival in our country a hundred years ago and some people began to preach and churches. So who started it? Oh, we don't know. That's the Pentecostal movement. It's a movement of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no Pentecostal church. Number two, you ready? Is this helping anybody? Number two, here it is. Number two, I've got it written down here so don't make a mistake. The Pentecostal movement is the continuing ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, Luke is writing his second book. His first book was Luke, and his second book is Acts of the Apostles. Acts 1, 1 he says this, 
This treatise I have written to you, O most noble Theophilus. Who was he? He was a, they think he was a, a, a Roman convert, a governor, and he got converted. So Luke and Acts are like two new Christians books. And Luke the doctor is writing them to Theophilus to explain to him, first of all, what Jesus began in Luke. Are you with me here? And what Jesus continued to do in Acts after he went to heaven. So this is what he says, of all that God, uh, Jesus began to do and teach. And so the Pentecostal movement is simply that. We find out what Jesus did and is doing and we do it. It's pretty simple really, isn't it? Huh? Is, that, is that awesome? It's pretty awesome. Very releasing. Very re- we, we, could, we could say a lot more about that. Number three. Therefore, the Pentecostal movement is based on the ministry and power of the Holy Spirit and believers. So I found out over the years how you join different churches. It's really interesting. In traditional churches, do you know how you join the church? You've got to be christened or baptized into their belief. Other traditions, you have to sign a membership form that agrees to their tenets of faith. We believe in these 15 things, you must. And if you go, well, I've got trouble with the 15th one, mate. They go, well, you're not in yet. And once you agree to their beliefs, then you're in. Do you know how you join the Pentecostal church? You're born into it. I mean, what parent goes, I don't want that child. You know, so my wife and I have had four kids. We've got 14 grandkids. We didn't say to them, oh, we don't like him. He's bald. He's not, we don't want this in our family. Oh, we'll have her, you know, and oh, we'll have maybe, maybe. Uh, well, yeah, yeah, he's a drummer. He's in. Uh, yeah. See, God doesn't think like that. This is how you join the church in the Bible. You're born into it. You're born again. What the church does then is recognize that new birth and provide the teaching and the resources to grow them. Isn't that amazing? So have a guess who's in the church, at the Pentecostal church. There's a lot of people you don't like. You understand what I'm trying to say? Because they're not in the church because you preferred them to be there. They're there because God birthed them again and they're in the church. Isn't that amazing? It's a, whole, it's a different mindset. I'm just trying to help us with the mindset here today. That's why churches like this are more free and open. So I've had other pastors say, you, you can't have this person. Why? Do you know what he did? And they bring up his past and what he did. And, yeah, but he's been born again. Yeah, but you shouldn't let him in the church until he does this and he does that. No, 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 no. If he's born again, if I can use this expression, warts and all, He's welcome. It's not my job to tell him if he's born again or it's God's job. My job as a leader is to help him now get rid of his warts and his mistakes. And his, You see what I'm trying to say? And so what we do in our church and this church, when people get saved, we don't expect perfection from day one. We do a journey with them. And they begin to do. Now, not everyone makes the journey, right? Have a guess what that's called? Discipleship. That's called growth in Christ. 
But I know church groups, you can't join until you're perfect. You've got to believe everything they agree. You've got to be squeaky clean. And if you're not, you get, you get removed. <laughs> Look, so how can you remove a child from your family? Like when a teenager does something wrong, you say, you are no longer my son. That's just idiotic. Does the parent like it? No. Does the parent want that? No. But he's going to be always your child. You see what I'm saying? So, so to be a Pentecostal has this broader view because it's not a human view. It's a spiritual view. And when we're born again, we're on a journey. Isn't that awesome? Let me ask you a question. Who's glad Jesus didn't leave you where he found you? <laughs> That's something, isn't it? But you know what happens in the church? Christians, after a while, get spiritual amnesia. And they look at someone like John and say, you're a new Christian. They look at John, they go, why isn't the church disciplining him and Corinth? What were you like? I tell you, you've only got to have children to have children. And it's all good. It all comes back. And without, without exception, all my kids have said, I don't know, did you, look what he did. Why is this happening? Well, when you were five, you were like that. Many times I nearly took you out. I brought you into the world and there were many times I felt like taking out of the world. And sometimes I thought I've given birth to Satan. No, they're just children growing up on a journey. You're you with me here? So you see, the Pentecostal view doesn't see neat little boxes. We, we're trusting the Holy Spirit because the just shall live by faith. And when a person starts here, they might be at minus five. They might be at minus eight. But they experience God. It's our responsibility not to judge them or create a squeaky little clean Christian. Our job is now to lead them how to pray, how to believe, how to do righteous, how to live. And that's why Paul said, hey, you want to know how to be a Christian? Do what I do. That's a challenge, isn't it? Anyway, I'll just leave you that thought. Do what I do. Wow. Number four, you're with me here. Number four, the Pentecostal movement is about the mobilization of an empowered and gifted church. You know, you know, so I'm, I'm just trying to help you here this morning. I just heard recently some people left our church. So I'm not responsible and I'm not the pastor. So I, I can just go, wow, isn't that interesting? Um, <clears throat> and they left our church and one of the leaders followed them up to find out why they were leaving our church. Here's, here's the reason. You want to hear it? Because at your church, you expect us to serve and do stuff. I want to go to a church where I don't have to serve and I don't have to give money and I can just practice my faith personally. In a word, <laughs> wrong answer. The moment we're born again, we're called to be servants. Some will lead, some will serve, some will administrate, some will do kids, youth, some will just give, some will run businesses and employ people. Uh, well, whatever God's called you to do, it doesn't matter whether it's in the building or out from the building. We're all called, we're all, see, this is the Pentecostal church. 
And I've had pastors from other denominations say to me, and it's true, and it's not, I'm not blowing my own trumpet because he that doeth shall get a sore throat. But they say to me, how come you have all these young people? How come you have all these pastors and leaders? Well, it's because of our values. It's because we believe in the mobilization of the church. And the moment a person gets saved in our church, we're signing them up, quote unquote, to serve somewhere. Even if it's on the cafe, stacking chairs, well, it doesn't matter. You find jobs for people because once we begin to serve, the spirit of discipleship accelerates. Because just now you're starting to give out and now you have to find energy in God. You have to find attitudes that are right because you're going to be in a team with people you don't get along with. Isn't it awesome? And then you find yourself having to pray and forgive and move on. See how God works. This is the Pentecostal church, the mobilization. Quick, very quickly, and I'm finishing. Oh, I'm running out of time. Number five is in this. The Pentecostal church is a gathering church. Oh, man. Your pastor quoted it. On the day of Pentecost, they were all together in one place, in one accord. No, they didn't own a Honda. But anyway, they were together in one place. Here's what Pentecostal churches do. We get people together. They met in the temple. And they met in house groups from day one. You know, people, they go, we have a new thing. It's called small groups. And it happened in Acts 2. Right from the beginning, they met in the temple. Now, now here's what I've heard this for years. The early church didn't have a building. Why do we need buildings? Well, two reasons. In Adelaide Hills, you get cold and wet. <laughs> so if you don't want a building, go sit out in the park and sing Kumbaya. <laughs> but yeah, well, you need a building. But, but so, so people say, yeah, but they didn't own it in the act, so it's sort of noble. Do you, do you know why the early church didn't own buildings? It was illegal under Roman rule. It was called unlawful assembly. The only way you could have a building that, say, could seat a 1,000 people, you'd have to get approval from the Romans. Would they give it? Never. They approved Jewish synagogues. Why? Because it was politically expedient for them to keep the Jews on side because they already existed. So we believe in gathering. Isn't that awesome? And, and you find all through the New Testament, it's about gathering together, either in bigger groups in the temple. We don't call this a temple. It's a facility, but we're gathering together, right? And then we meet in one another's homes. We meet in cafes. We fellowship. Acts 2.42. It's awesome. Gathering together. And the last one, number six, you've got it. Is this helping anybody this morning? It should do. It's helping me. The Pentecostal movement is about the evangelization of the world. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. In Jerusalem, hometown, Samaria, neighbors that we don't necessarily like. Sorry, Judea, neighbors. Samaria, the neighbors out that we don't really like. We're even going to go to people we don't like. Come on, that's what Samaria meant. And to the uttermost parts of the world, the Adelaide Hills. It's pretty uttermost from Jerusalem, right? This is what I believed. When I first got saved, I read that 
you shall receive power. You shall receive power. So have a guess what I did? I went everywhere. Because I didn't yet have a revelation of the church. But when I began to understand, get a bit of understanding, he wasn't saying, you will go to the uttermost parts of the world. He said, you. Hence the idea in C3, we're either sending or going. Not all of us will go. Some of us are going to stay here for our whole lives, serving, giving. But have a guess, you, that money comes together. Now look what you've done the East and the West. There's others to do, and you're doing it in, in, in Eastern European countries, Fiji. The work you started in Fiji is so good. Our church said, let's do it with you. So we, we, we help build our churches and mother, man. See, this is the influence, you. Isn't that amazing? It was a corporate you. He was talking to all the disciples of the church. When the church is mobilized, when the church is full of the Holy Spirit, when the church is encouraging each other and growing, have a guess what's going to happen. You will go to the uttermost parts. And then this church is part of our movement. Our movement is part of a whole Pentecostal movement. And the word is you. There are more Pentecostal churches being planted today than ever in history. There are more people coming to Jesus ever before. It's just that ABC don't publicize it. Because, you know, they don't talk about the positives and the fact that the, you've only got to look at the stats. The fastest growing religious group, if we can use that terminology, in the world today is Pentecostals of all brands. Doesn't matter what the name is or what the denomination. If it's Pentecostal and embraces these things, it's going to evangelize the world. Isn't that exciting? Isn't that exciting? Today, you're thinking in this month about your values. One of our core values, and we're celebrating it today, is we're Pentecostal. Now, I'm not afraid of that term, but sometimes that can get lost because most people don't have a clue what you're talking about. Or they might go, do you have snakes in your church? You know, you know. But I do like the modern term, spirit-empowered believers. The value is this. We believe in family. We believe in the Bible. We believe in church. Here's another value. We believe that the Holy Spirit empowers everybody to live their best life, their greatest life. And these are some of the things that God's called us to live with. You're feeling good this morning? Come on, let's give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to hand over to Pastor. I've gone way over time. But I have to ask this question. If you're in this service and you don't know the Lord, or maybe you have and you've slipped away, maybe some of the things we've talked about this morning, they've gone cold in you for various reasons. Why don't you receive fresh empowerment this morning and say, you know what, I want to come back. I want to give my heart to Jesus. Maybe the first time. I want to really be serious and, and embrace this life that we've been talking about this morning. It's such a great life to live for Jesus. And when he's empowering you, it's not about living a religious life. It's not about following a book of rules. It's about being led by the Spirit. It's about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Why don't we close our eyes just before I hand the meeting back. And let me ask you this question. Would you like to say yes to Jesus for the first time? Or maybe this morning say, yes, I need to come back and renew that fire, renew that commitment. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Just slip it up and say, Gordon, that's me. Oh, that's me. I'm right there today. 
and I need this in my life. I need to come for the first time. I need to renew that faith in Christ. Is there anybody over to my right? Through the centre of the church? Anybody? To my left? Let's all stand together, shall we? Father, I pray that this church will continue to truly be a Pentecostal church. Spirit-inspired, Spirit-empowered, and Spirit-led to this community and beyond. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Pastor.